It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Greetings and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show, and she is on the West Coast in Vancouver, where I understand it's raining at the moment, and I'd like to welcome Lorelai Williams to the show. Uh, Lorelai has uh, been an advocate for missing and murdered Indigenous women for quite some time. You may have heard her name, you may have seen her around, you may have even uh, possibly seen the dance troupe she is associated with that she takes out to support and honour women uh, of the murdered and missing. But she also has a very, very close connection to these stories as well. Uh, Her aunt, Belinda Williams, went missing from Vancouver downtown's east side 40 years ago. And she also lost her young cousin, Tanya Hulk, uh, who went missing in 1996 and was later named as one of Robert Picton's victims. Lorelai, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so Lorelai, it, it's, uh, it, this is something you do and you carry with you every day. You share these stories, you keep the momentum alive, you keep these people's stories alive in our minds and, and, in, and, and take them forward to make sure we, we one, I guess, don't forget. But two, you want to honor these women. Why, why did you think it was important to do that? I think it's important to do that because, um, you know, it's, Sorry, it's just just emotional um, every single time. Um, but you know, Canada doesn't know that this is a huge issue. Canada is slowly starting to see that this is a huge issue, but in reality, society really doesn't understand that. You know, uh, we've done a number of of, uh, interviews here on the show. Uh, Most recently, we did one with... uh with a woman uh, who, who whose book is uh, is out, it's called uh, um, um, Highway of Tears. I mean, perhaps you're familiar with it. I haven't seen the book. I've seen a couple of movies, mm. but I haven't seen the book yet. Well, you know, and of course, so that uh, why I brought that up was because it, it seems like you say it's starting to become more familiar. It's starting to become more of an issue that people. Uh, are are paying attention to, and especially as we have more things like this, this book that's come out that that wants to uh, share and and put attention on it, much like you are doing. But tell me when when you started this. I think you started the dance troupe Butterflies in Spirit um, in, in 2012. Uh, yes, the idea came to me in on October 4th, 2011, actually, and we started. Working on my idea, uh, December 2011 was the first time we actually talked about it, and then we got a choreographer, and yeah, January 2012 was when we started practicing for our first performance. Now, the performances and and the dancers you use, tell me about how that comes together. Do you do you have a specific a number of of women that you incorporate with this to perform, or do you invite others to join at times? We um, we actually, yeah, we don't say no to anybody who wants to join us. We actually just got another family member who asked to join us just less than a month ago. 
So, yeah, if people want to join our dance group, they just have to come to our practices, practice with us, and that's how people can join our group. So our group has gotten bigger, smaller. Like in the beginning, there was 12 of us for our one-time, what was supposed to be a one-time event. Mm. You know, and then we've just been performing ever since, right? So normally we have, we try to make sure to have at least four dancers, two singers, and an elder perform with us, but it fluctuates. Um, just more recently, only two dancers can make it down to Mexico to perform, uh, one singer and one elder. So we were able to pull off that performance with just a small group, but we're able to, um, yeah, perform with however many is able to show up. So you started this around, as you say, the idea came to you in 2011. You started putting it together. You went out to do a single performance that it sounds like you were just going to do that one, and it blossomed into this ongoing thing. That that must have that must have felt good, that part of it. Yeah, yeah. My, my target was the... The actually the white man up at the Wally Opal Inquiry, also known as the Missing Women's Commission of Inquiry. Mm. You know, I remember I was sitting in the courtroom, and you know, I, I felt it. You know, I felt like they didn't understand. You know, with the police all lawyered up with like five lawyers, the families only had two lawyers. Mm. You know, there were twenty family members that about twenty family members that were represented by two lawyers, and then I seen the police officers with so many lawyers, right? And I just felt like they didn't understand the issue, mm. right? And so my idea was to, yeah, get my missing aunt's picture out there. Yes, honor my cousin Tanya Holick, but I wanted them to know that this was a huge issue in Canada. So we blocked off the street, Georgia, the busy streets of downtown Vancouver, Georgia, and Granville during that inquiry, and we did our performance. And it wasn't just your regular performance, you know, like your regular dance performance. It, we sent a message through our dance. And, you know, at the end of the piece, the family members who represented their missing loved ones sat down on the ground, and they stayed sitting up so that you could see the pictures on their T-shirts of their loved ones. But the... Family members who represented their murdered loved ones actually laid down on the ground and they were covered by a, a white sheet. And so it actually looked like a bunch of dead bodies in the middle of the mm. intersection. Mm. And that's how we sent our message to say that this is a huge issue in our country. And so people thought, wow, you know, we sent a message. You know, a lot of people, not a lot, but some people were like, oh, you're going to dance in the middle of the street? Like, oh, wow, you know, like thinking it was some sort of little dance. But no, we sent a message with our performance. And and it sounds like it. I, I think, uh, of course, the other thing, by having the bodies covered in white sheets, you you brought what is in either the back of people's minds or they don't they don't think about it. Like you were saying, it's not something that, that the larger Canadian public uh, is aware of by bringing those bodies and putting a, a physical uh, sense to them that you could actually see it it brings it out of that that imaginary world and puts it right in front of people's faces yeah 
So once you did that, and uh, you just mentioned you you performed in, in Mexico. So where did where does this where does this take you? Where does this endeavor you know to honor these women? Uh, where has it taken you over the years? Uh, so uh, we've performed a lot here in Canada, but we have definitely gone down to the states. I mean, more recently, on uh, in October, we went down to Alcatraz Island to perform. That was such an amazing experience for Indigenous People's Day, mm-hmm. or yeah, mm-hmm. um, what they call Thanksgiving Day, but um, or what they they're not calling Thanksgiving Day down there anymore. They're calling it Indigenous People's Day. Mm. But, um, yeah, we went down to Alcatraz Island to perform. And, um, yeah, we've gone as far as Bogota, Colombia to Mm. perform and down to Chiapas, Mexico, over the Christmas holiday. The Zapatistas had this amazing conference. I think it was called the Women in Struggle Conference. And we were able to perform there. And that was such an amazing performance. You know, the conference itself had about 4,000 people and 1,200 people showed up to watch us perform. I think that's all could fit in the room (laughs) that we were in. And even there was a field down below and even though the people couldn't see us to perform, they were gathering down there to just even listen to Mm. what we were doing. And, you know, this was people from around the world, but mostly Latin American communities. And... Yeah, it was just such an amazing experience and, you know, to meet all the people and the families of MMIWG down there, right? So, mm. you know, it was it was quite the experience because when we were down there, there was actually some people who didn't even know that Indigenous people existed in Canada. Mm. They thought it was just white people up here. Mm. So it was good to educate some people down there, right, and let them know that this is a huge issue in Canada as well, right? Right, yeah. So uh, where have you been across Canada? Where have you performed in Canada? Um, mostly all over BC. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone up to uh, Whitehorse, or the Yukon, I can't remember which one, or both, and Alberta, and Winnipeg. And where else have we performed? Uh, yeah, those. Have yeah. you have you had any invitations to uh, to come further east in terms of Ontario oh, yeah. or or you know? Yes, we had an invitation to Toronto uh, to some some event, but we uh, it didn't fall. They didn't fall through, but. Mm. It was supposed to be at the border mm. um, near Niagara Falls or something. Mm. There was some kind of, some event kind of happening there. Um, yeah, we've been invited to Ottawa, um, but that requires money, right? Yeah, and of course, yeah. I mean, you know, we've gone to Mexico. We were able to raise our own money for Mexico and stuff, but we, you know, it requires fundraising, right? I mean, we've been invited to Japan, Bahamas, uh, all kinds of places, but it just requires money, right? So. Yeah, you would you would hope though that if you're getting these invitations, that uh, the the organizations or the people that are inviting you would would hopefully have some of that funding available that could could you know help offset or not cover if not cover all of your costs for for getting you there to do these things. 
Yeah, you would think so, right? But some can't afford us. Mm. Um, that's why we don't uh, put a number on what we do. I see. Right? If people need us to perform and they can't afford to pay us, um, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. You know, some people offer us money, but we don't ask for money. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, it, it's just hard to put a number on what we do. We're, we're all about raising awareness of this issue. Of course. That's why yeah. we do it. So, and yeah. So, since you've been doing this uh, and you've been going around, and I know you're you're busy outside of the dance, uh, the, the Butterfly in Spirit Dance Organization and troupe that you're involved with. You you are so an advocate. You also go out and share your story um, and share that uh, side of things to help raise awareness as well. It sounds like this, of course, would keep you very busy. Um, you know, on a, on a daily basis. Yes, um, and I was also working for the Vancouver Aboriginal Community Policing Center, mm -hmm. so um, that my job there was the women's coordinator, and I worked with families of missing and murdered women, women in the downtown east side, women in violent uh, situations, and I was trying to build positive relationships between the community and the police. Mm. So that that's another thing that had me really busy and yeah I'm on the Missy and Murder Women's Coalition um, yeah just my whole life is pretty much trying to end violence against women and girls in general like mm -hmm. I, I'm, I mostly focus on indigenous women and girls um, but you know it's expanding right sure I have to start with my own community first and then people are asking me to you know, help them or, you know, so it's just naturally expanding. I mean, you know, my dance group, we just got invited to Mexico, mm. right? So mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of speeches across Canada, down into the States, and slowly starting to go to the Latin American communities right now, right. which is a huge issue down there. You know, starting to learn more about it. Like, I've always known that w there was MMIWG down there, but learning more about it... Um, you know, I just learned through my partner, actually. My partner is from El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And we, um, he started to look more into it when we started dating. But he realized that El Salvador is one of the number one uh, places where MMIWG is. And when he told that to me, when he said that to me, I was like, but El Salvador is so small, you know. And I looked up the population of Mexico. It's 100. 26 million but the population of El Salvador is like 7 million mm. but it's one of the number one places mm. um, where there's MMIWG and mm. I was so shocked I was like gosh mm. it's so small how can they beat mm. Mexico mm. you know um, so yeah mm. I just want to jump in and let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. You can also listen on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country. Download the app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. My guest is Lorelai Williams. Uh, she is an advocate for missing and murdered Indigenous women. She also has a dance troupe called Butterflies in Spirit that travel around to raise awareness as well as honor the missing and murdered Indigenous women. Uh, she's been doing this since about 2012. As she travels around, she just mentioned that they came back from Mexico 
if you're interested in finding out more about this or maybe contacting uh, Lorelai about perhaps having her come and give either a speech or uh, have her dance perf- performers come to your uh, place uh, to honor the missing and murdered Indigenous women, you can find out more online. Uh, if you uh, go to Lorelai uh, Williams or go to Butterflies in Spirit, uh, you can find out more about her, and uh, I'm sure they can get a hold of you through there, Lorelai? Yes. And um, now, the Butterflies in Spirit is, is, is associated with the Sovereign Bodies Institute, I see. Yes. What can you tell me about that, that relationship? So I was asked to do some research on how dancing is healing for families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and women who were human trafficked, women and girls who were human trafficked. Mm. And so, yeah, back in October, that's how we ended up at Alcatraz Island to perform. Mm. We performed at the university uh, in Eureka and we presented um, the research there. And um, actually, working on a book now for butterflies with mm. them. Okay. And so, yeah, that's how that started. But yeah, we're doing some work with Sovereign Bodies Institute. Uh, Lorelai, you're associated with the Skitsan Nation? Skatine, or Skatine. Skatine, thank you. Um, yeah, whereabouts is that located? So, Skatine Nations is up uh, past Whistler area, okay. past uh, Pemberton and Mount Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go d- past that, and then you go down like this dirt road for about an hour, and it's like a small little place in the middle of nowhere in between the mountains. Mm. Yeah. Um, Lorelai, as we said uh, prior to this and, and uh, at the top of the show, that, that one of the things and why you are so involved with this uh, story of missing and murdered Indigenous women is because you um, you had your aunt Belinda Williams go missing from the down uh, Vancouver downtown east side uh, 40 years ago, and also your cousin Tanya Holyuk, uh, who went missing in 1996 and was later named as uh, one of Robert Picton's victims. After this time has passed, um, what... What is your what is your reflection on the issue? I know we, we, we mentioned that it's still going on. Have you noticed a decline? Is it still as as oh, much no. no, it hasn't declined. No, no, no. No, it hasn't declined at all. It's I mean, if anything it's getting worse and even with these protests happening right now, these mm. um demonstrations like I just heard yesterday that this guy uh, threw his coffee at an indigenous woman because she was standing there and she's indigenous and because of the uh, the blockades mm. that are happening mm. I mean that's that's violence against women but in general like our women are still going missing and being murdered at a high rate I hear about it all the time and uh, yeah, it's not it's not getting any better. You know, we have the man camps along these pipelines. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where women are going missing and being murdered as well. So I actually spoke recently um, at City Hall uh, when there was a... Uh, yeah, people were standing in solidarity for Wet'suwet'en. And um, 
Yeah, I spoke. I spoke up about the man camps, and I told those men. I, I yelled, you know, leave our women alone. You know, because, yeah, they, they target our women and girls. You know, I say that all the time. You know, we're targets because all of the systems in Canada are against us. Right? And predators know that, and that's why they target us. Right? Yeah. Um... And I can go on about how how these systems are against us, you know? I mean, an example is the police aren't taking the cases seriously across this country. So right. they still haven't changed that that approach at all. I know we we again going back to some of these uh, interviews we've, we've had, some of the books we've uh, reviewed and talked about those kind of things. Uh, that it's still going on the same. You're finding. Yeah, yeah. I find the policing gets worse the more further you get from Vancouver. I started to notice. And I don't know if it's because I've worked with the Vancouver Police Department, and I've definitely seen the changes within the Vancouver Police Department from, you know, the racist, judgmental police on the case, on like, on Tanya's case during that time of Robert Pickett. Like, I cannot believe the police, like, and what they did at that time, mm. you know. But, you know, working with the police is definitely not like that there right now. But there's still a lot of changes that need to be made across the country and even within the Vancouver Police Department. You know, I I have some cases, uh, some complaints that went through the National Inquiry, actually, um, against the VPD and the RCMP. Mm. You know, and I, I'm working on that right now with them. The complaints were already put through by the National Inquiry, but now I'm going through, um, I'm I'm doing it as well right Mm. and you know there's a lot of police out there who are letting rapists go you know and so there's so many rapists out there this is just an example right there's so many cops who are not doing their jobs properly and perpetrators get away right you know and it's because they're racist and judgmental towards our indigenous women and girls so things like that right so, I, I, and like I said, I could go on about these things, but yeah, it would take a, a long time. <laughs> and I, yeah. I can't remember how much time we have. So, Well, we have about, uh, we just have under five minutes left, but, but what I wanted to, uh, and, I, and I appreciate that, and I wish we, you know, we, we could say more, but I think you've made a very good point about what you just said, uh, so uh, I don't think it's lost in, in the conversation here. But the other side of this, even though we're talking about the, the violence and the sadness uh, and and that it continues, the other side of what you do is is also try to give hope and resilience and determination for women as well. And I'm, I'm wondering that, so through what you do, whether it's a, it's a talk or whether it's through the dance, the Butterflies in Spirit dance, um, what are you hearing from people that participate in in, in family members? Uh, what kind of conversation are you having with them, and what do they say to you in in the work that you're doing about the work you you're doing? Family members involved or not involved, or uh, no, they couldn't be. They don't have to be necessarily involved. Just people that that are there observing and and know about what you're doing. Maybe they show up. Maybe they want to. You know, maybe they're they're they have a family member that's missing. 
um, or has been murdered. And I'm, I'm just wondering, what, what are you hearing back from, from those people? Yeah, so we, we have a lot of support. We have a lot of support out there. And um, what people have come up and told me quite a few times, actually, they said, you know, thank you for doing this. You know, and you've put feeling behind this issue. You know, I, I've, I've heard this a number of times. You know, you see it in the news. But when they see us perform, mm. they, they feel it. You know, majority of our performances, if not all, people are crying. Mm. People cry when we perform. And it, and it makes it hard for me to perform too, right? Because it's, it's already hard performing because sure. of what I'm performing for. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's close to my heart. Mm-hmm. But when I see people crying in the audience, I have to be that much more stronger sure. because I don't want to break down crying. Right. Right. So it's emotionally draining for the dance group. I'm sure it is. Dancing for our missing and murdered loved ones, right? Mm. So people are very supportive of our dance group. And yeah, they they thank us for putting feeling behind it and getting the message out there in such a short amount of time as well. You know, people say, you know, you hear speakers, but you know, just watching you perform and say so much in such a small amount of time is amazing. Mm. You know, things like that. Right. right? Through art. Yeah. Uh, but I can, you know, and I, and I appreciate what you just said about uh, having to stay strong because of uh, people breaking down and, and that that's uh, something that you feel uh, as well uh, during the performance and you have to stay strong. And, and you know, I guess that's... Part of what you're doing, it it has uh, an emotional um, uh, wear and tear factor on you in doing this as well. It, it's it's something that is very draining, and I certainly can understand that. So um, I guess uh, that is another reason about uh, sort of why I was asking and what you're hearing back. But also, you know, congratulations to you for being able to do this and to find the strength to do it for. Um, for your your own relatives and for those of other people that have that are missing and murdered, and that you are able to to find the strength along with your other dancers that come forward and do this, and I certainly hope that you uh, you um, are able to make it further east. You know, it would be great to have your your group and yourself here, uh, either in Ontario or further east uh, at some point, to be able to bring this performance uh, here and share what you do. Uh, in support and honoring murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, it, it's really hard work. It's, you know, and we just performed yesterday and, mm. you know, we have all these demonstrations, all these blockades. And so I've been pretty busy these last few days and it's definitely wearing me down. But, you know, this is something that we got to do, right? Mm-hmm. And the way I think about it is, you know, What's happening to me is nothing compared to what our Indigenous women and girls, our missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls have gone through, Mm. right? And so that's what keeps me going. The community support, I have so much people behind me that I can turn to when I'm crying or, Mm. you know, when I just can't do it anymore. Uh, I definitely take breaks, self-care. Sure, good. You know, elders, ceremonies, like I I do it all, right? Plus Mm. I have trauma training in Indigenous focusing oriented therapy on complex trauma. Mm -hmm. So that 
that helps me. Like that, yeah. There's a lot of advocates that are getting sick right now, mm. you know, because of this work. And right. I've been one of the lucky ones where you know nothing has happened to me. So, mm. what would you like to say to our listeners about uh, about either murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls, or or what you do uh, uh, to to help uh, uh, share that with your your, your dance group? I would just like to say that this is still a huge issue in our country. Uh, I mean, the National Inquiry ended, but this is still a huge issue. And so we need all the support that we can get. You know, show up to those rallies. Show up to the Wet'suwet'en rallies uh, in in solidarity because, you know, there's man camps along these pipelines. So just show up, support, and yeah, because it's, our women are still going missing and being murdered at a high rate in Canada, down in the States, you know, as far as Latin America. Like, it's all over the world, right? Mm. But it's still happening here. Right. Okay, uh, Lorelai, we appreciate you very much taking the time to be on the show with us today. And I, I say nyawa and miigwech for joining us and uh, wish you all the best and uh, best of health as well as you uh, go forward uh, with with the work that you do. Okay, but yeah, thank you for having me. You bet. And uh, hopefully we can touch in with you at some point in the future. Yes, okay. thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. And that is Lorelai Williams. Uh, she is an advocate for missing and murdered Indigenous women, and uh, she uh, has a two family members that went missing. Her aunt Belinda went missing from Vancouver's downtown east side 40 years ago, and her uh, she also lost her young cousin Tanya Holick uh, to uh, the Robert Pickton's uh, victims in the nineteen in 1996. It's been a pleasure to have her on the show. She also dances with butterflies in spirit. You can look them up online if you'd like to find out more. It would be great to have her here. Don't go away. We'll be right back here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And as you've heard me mention before, you can download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. Follow the directions and you could be listening anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week on your device of choice. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, it's also a pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show, Sean Leonard. He's a Mi'kmaq medium or spirit talker. And you may have seen uh, his uh, program on APTN, which just started uh, earlier, I believe, this month. What's coming on on February 19th? February 19th. Pardon me. I jumped the gun there. (laughs) I'm ahead of myself. Um, Yeah, so you can catch that first episode, as we were just talking about, uh, at 8 p.m. on APTN, uh, the world premiere. So having said that... um, you know, the first thing, Sean, when I when I saw this and knew that you were coming into the studio, uh, I thought of I thought of a, a couple of things. One was, um, he's a medium. Oh no, he's going to be able to read me inside and out. What's going to happen? <laughs> and uh, you know, feeling very vulnerable right off the top. But what I wanted to ask you about was th- was this: When did you first know know that you had this gift? Well, it's been a process through life. I think we all have a journey. Um, And some people are on that path in life and some people are off that track of path of life. 
But I feel like, you know, it, it kind of reveals itself as you go. And if you look back at your life, you can see all the sequence of events that brought you to where you are. Uh, there's some profound events that brought me to this place, but I don't, I couldn't say that it was this or that, but it's a combination of everything. Um, just being aware of spirit since I was a little young boy. Mm. Um, the, the biggest significant event that really shifted my perspective was when my father passed when I was 15 years old. Yeah. And having experienced that uh, and never expecting at that point in my life that um, I was kind of forced into having to deal with the loss of somebody that I love so dearly. And it was a year later after my dad had passed away that he actually visited me. Mm. I had a visitation uh, from him, and it was very profound. It was like the most profound experience that I can ever remember in all of the dreams I've ever had. Mm. I remember I stepped out of my body as I was sleeping on the couch in my mom's house, and I could still see myself sleeping on the couch. But when I looked at the back wall, there was this enormous light that just started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then my dad walked out of it. And I was like, oh, my God, Dad. I mean, the first thing that I noticed about my dad, for whatever reason, he was wearing a long white robe. <laughs> what the hell are you wearing, Dad? <laughs> my dad was a hunter. He was in the Navy, drank beer on the weekend. You know, it wasn't one I would expect my dad to be wearing. And then uh, after I saw him, he, he, he said, well, you need to tell your mom I'm okay. You need to tell your brother I'm okay. He says, you're really not going to understand this, but we all have a journey in life. And he says, I can see your journey much farther ahead than you can. And he says, the greatest gift of love I could ever give you was to leave this world so that I could show you the light so that one day you'll help people understand where we go and where we come from. I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to do that? Sorry for my language, yeah, but no. I had no clue. And it sounded like gibberish, really, yeah. maybe from like Yoda from Star Wars mm. or something. It just mm-hmm. was ridiculous to me at, at 16. Yeah. And it didn't make sense. So yeah. I kind of brushed it off. And uh, that was it. I woke up and uh, went about my marital life. And I told my mom, who I thought would be enormously happy that I met with dad. And that he was okay and he wanted me to pass a message. But my mom was angry. <laughs> she goes, why did he come to you? <laughs> like, oh, right. <laughs> why did he come to me? <laughs> and uh, I mean, my mom was very heavily in her grieving process. Mm. And I was in a different space. We all mm. grieve differently. Sure. And I felt that that space where she was was not the place I was. And it was easier for him to connect to me sure. than it was her. And sure. perhaps I needed to hear that message as right. well. Yeah, that's really interesting uh, that you brought that up. Uh, because... Uh, that connection, that spiritual connection that you're talking about, maybe it was easier for him to reach you than it was for your mom because of her grieving process or wherever she was. Uh, it it kind of touches on what is that, what is that invisible, tangible connection? You know how delicate it is. Uh, what 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 are the things that bring that together to allow those doors to open, just like it did for you mm-hmm. with after your dad passing? You know, and it was. I guess that passing that opened that you said was one of the most uh, profound things that made you become aware of this. But when did it start to, to move on to other people for you, to, mm. to the connection for others? To well, others? It's kind of strange because I started to walk a spiritual path in life. I was not connected to my dangerous culture at that point in my life. I just started to pray and meditate. My, my, uh, my Nugamich, my grandmom from Newfoundland, um, was Mi'kmaq, mm. and uh, she did, she lost her culture as well, unfortunately. So I just started to walk my own path, and then things started to happen, synchronicity. I started the right person at the right time, the right story, the right thing would just happen in life, mm. and it, I became more aware that this was happening. And um, and I would tell some people about the things were happening, and most of the people would think I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, there was one guy I worked with uh, in Calgary where I was living at the time in my early 20s. And it was a guy named Morhan. 
And uh, he was a Muslim guy, and he wasn't even practicing his faith either. And we played sports together all the time. And we, we had a good, you know, a, a good rivalry going, let's say. And I would often tell him what was happening with me. And one day, I was sitting beside him at work because I did bills and materials and AutoCAD for an office furniture company. I wasn't like, had no idea that I was going to be going in this area of life. And I heard a voice in my head. And it was just a thought, not necessarily a spoken word like you would hear with your ears. It was like a voice in my mind. And it just said, uh, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And I thought, okay, why am I hearing somebody say Charlie in my head? Because I'm not doing this. Mm. And, um, and I actually thought I would leave work because I thought I'm, I'm not well. There's, there's something definitely going on here, but I don't know what this is. Mm. So when I looked at Orion to tell him that I was going to leave and go home, that I wasn't feeling well, the voice stopped. I thought, oh, this is odd. So I went back to typing. And again, the voice came back. I said, okay, there's something really going on here. So, and this is what I thought. I thought, Orhan is doing something with Charlie after work, and I have to know if this is what this is, if I'm like a mind reader. Right. And so I stopped and turned and looked at him, and I said, you know, do you know anything about Charlie? Like, do you have a friend, Charlie, or anything like this? And I didn't, you know, suggest anything. Mm. And he stopped, and he turned, and he looked at me, and he says, I used to know a guy named Charlie. As soon as he said that, it's like a pitcher came into my mind. Mm. And the picture was like a, a, a vision or a memory that I had of the past, of a place that I'd been. And it was a bar in Calgary, and it was called the Town and Country Bar. And this sign popped into my head, and I said, that's so weird. Why would I see the Town and Country Bar sign? He goes, oh, my God, that's the last place Charlie was seen alive. And I'm like, what? I mean, you, and you don't have to be psychic or intuitive to really know. If you're last seen somewhere, something happened to you. Mm. So I didn't know what that was. But I had another image in my head of this small house in Calgary in the southeastern area, and there were stairs going into a basement. And I saw some shadowy people in the background, which I couldn't quite make out, but he kept walking down the stairs into the house. And I I asked him if he knew what that meant, and he said no. I'm like, you have to know what this means, because if this is what this is, it's Mm. coming from him, Mm. then he should know, and he didn't. And he got frustrated with me and angry, and he said, well, who told you all this? Right. I said, well, nobody told me this. I said, how do you know this guy? He goes, well, I worked with him at the airport eight years ago, and his name's not even Charlie. It's a Charlie. Everybody just nicknamed him Charlie. I said, well, Warren, how, how do you expect for me to know? I didn't even know you worked at the airport, let alone knew a guy who doesn't have a real name, uh, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how am I supposed to put all that together? And he goes, I don't know. And we anyway, we agreed to drop it because it was, it weirded him out. It weirded me yeah, out. Right. And I didn't know what that was, what was happening or taking place. So we went on about our merry old life and he stopped hassling me for a little bit, which was really nice. And then uh, I picked up Calgary Sun paper on a whim uh, looking for the hockey scores. Just one of those synchronicities. And I'm flipping through looking for the, the today's scores for the Flames and I come across a story about an unsolved murder. And it's about a guy named Achari. His nickname is Charlie. Worked at the airport. Last mm-hmm. in at the town of Country Bar on the Fort Hills Industrial Park of Calgary. He lived in this home, was found murdered in this house. Mm. And it showed this house with a downstairs entrance to the basement apartment. Oh my God, I, that was it was like it was like a moment that I'll I'll never forget. Right. Because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know where that was coming from. Sure. Uh and I and I thought, okay, well, Orhan has to know this. So Orhan comes in, he sits down, I say, Orhan, read this. And I said, and he does. And I said, Do you remember the little conversation we had there about three months? He goes, Nope, don't remember. I'm like baloney. I said other words, just so you know. <laughs> But he he then, uh, he said, yes, I do. He says, what are you trying to say? I wasn't even in the country when this happened. I'm like, this is not what I'm trying to say. I need to know the truth. Mm. And you need to be honest with me. Did you know this? 
did you know that he lived in this house and that he lived in the downstairs basement apartment because that's what I had seen? Or did you know he was murdered there? And he said, no. I said, well, you need to be swearing on somebody's life here, like your kids, your wife, somebody's, but I need to know for sure. He goes, why is this so important to you? I said, but Orin, this is going to sound, and I hate to use the word crazy loosely, but I wasn't sure what was happening to me. And I didn't know if it was mental illness or not, but I need to know if you didn't know this. I said, this is, this is going to sound out there, Orion, but I actually feel like people in spirit world are talking to me. And I feel like it's how they talk to me. I see things. I feel things. I hear things. I just know things. And I don't know how I know them. It's just coming to me. And he says, I'll, I'll never swear my kid's life, but I could definitely swear my wife's and my own, he said, which was kind of funny. And, uh, and he said, are you going to drop this now? I said, yeah. And that was the defining moment that shifted my whole reality as to whether or not this was real or not real or how it worked. And then I felt like that day I discovered a language, a communication Mm. from spirit. And it's not like I went searching for it. And then it took me back to my dad when he visited me when I was 16 years old, thinking, hey, you know, one day you're going to be helping people. I said, this is like, this is like, how did he know that? Because we all have a purpose. We all have a path. Does it mean not we cannot get off our path? Right. I think all of us can get off our path. And, and, and I, in my own belief system, I feel like we live many lifetimes. And whether we get it all in this one or mm-hmm. several, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's as relevant. I think our goal is to always achieve what we want to. And sometimes people get off track. That doesn't mean you can't get back on track and find yourself for whatever reason that you're going through. A wonderful introduction to uh, Sean Leonard, who is a Mi'kmaq medium and or Spirit Talker, if you like, and that is the name of the show that you can see on APTN, Spirit Talker, and it's going to be premiering on February 19th at 8 p.m. And uh, you are listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. As I just mentioned, Sean Leonard is in the studio. We're talking. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that little segment about uh, how Sean came to learn and find out about his ability uh, to connect uh, with the spirit side. And, you know, I I had a chance to catch a little bit of some of the teasers that are out there about the show. And it's interesting, of course, the first show, you go back to your home community and uh, and it takes you back there, gives you some background on yourself as well. And and I appreciate you sharing what you just did about that. Um, You know, when I think about the show, uh, I, I, I a couple of things come to mind again. One is. Uh, how did you? How did you? How did it end up that you got approached, or or that this show came about? Or what's the background with the show itself? Synchronicity. And yeah. it's, it's funny that when sure. I, um, I actually had been putting out the idea because I've I've mm. worked with the police in the past on mm. cold cases and oh, yeah. unsolved murders, a few of them. Mm-hmm. It's not the work that I love as much as I do right. doing this because it's heavy. Yeah, yeah. It's a heavy energy, of course. And um, so I put out there, and maybe if there's a way that I could do a TV show. In, in regards to maybe helping police, like maybe bring closure to things like this, I was open to it. Mm. And um, anyway, a lady came to one of my events in Halifax um, that I did with another medium from the States named John Holland. And she worked for uh, a production company, Telltale Productions. Mm. So she told the owner who then um, knew about me and uh, they were going to reach out to contact me. This is mm. now where synchronicity falls in the play. Because there's a, there's a show in Nova Scotia that is filmed that is called Oak Island. And I found out from a friend that who was the production company on the show. And I was reaching out to them to see if maybe I could be a guest on the show. Okay. So I call and I, and I find out about this fellow named Ed Peel, Ed Pyle. 
who owns Telltale Production, is co-producing uh, the Oak Island show. Mm. So I give him a call, and he goes, oh, my God, you're the guy. I'm like, what do you mean I'm the guy? He goes, I was just talking to uh, Donna Gabriel about you. She was saying that you did an awesome job at a show, and I was going to actually call you and talk to you about doing a show. So I, I gave him the idea that I thought uh, that I would like to try one day or put out there, and they presented it with APTN. But APTN thought they already had a show that was already airing, um, in relation to that, so they thought mine would conflict with it. Mm. So they asked, what else can you do? And I said, well, this is what I normally do, and they, they uh, telltale filmed it. One thing led to another. Now I've got a 13-episode series out there. Okay, great. Now, leads me to my next question. You were putting it out there. Did you have some concerns about bringing that to a larger audience and a television audience? No. No. No, I don't. I... Th- I this is not like something scary or fearful. It's coming from love mm-hmm. and it's really helping people heal. And I do this all the time, whether right. there's a TV show or not. Right. right. This is something that I, I'm out there touring. I'm actually doing a show here in Toronto coming up here next week mm-hmm. uh, in Mississauga. So I'm, I'm always out there doing this anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, if Spirit World feels that I can reach a larger audience, helping people see how this process happens, how it works, you know, you know what is taking place when it happens. So there's nothing hidden. It's like filmed and I'm just doing it. Right. And they see that healing process take place um, right in front of a camera. Okay, so I have, a, you know, this just popped into my head as you were saying that, <laughs> talking about the spirit. Um, I, I'm just wondering, do you think in general, uh, talking about sp- uh, synchronicity and those kind of things, do you think that in general we as people need to listen to those voices more inside of our heads that that can allow us to get to the place that we should be going or that we should be listening to because we're so wrapped up with the material world that we, we, we right. miss those messages. Yeah, we, we do have our own inner voices, but it's being able to define which is your own inner voice, mm. your ego, yep. mm. as opposed to a spirit that's coming through. And they come through two different ways. One comes through unconditional with nothing but love mm. and help and care and compassion. And the other one has fear. Mm. And that's our own little voice. And that's the ego. It's being able to distinguish between the two. And if you listen to the loving voice that is guiding you through your life, you realize that there's much more going on behind you, helping you, assisting you every step of the way. You know, it, the other thing that comes to mind when you say that, and I say this for people listening as well, because uh, I'm, 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 I'm taking elements of this and what, what you're talking about. I should start applying this stuff. It's like a sort of a muscle that you, you use, right? The it more is. you use it, the more stronger it gets. Because that voice is really quiet, isn't it? Is very quiet, <laughs> very quiet. You have to exercise it in order to get and, it But the, the important thing of hearing that little inner voice that comes from love is is trusting it. Mm. And because we all have that voice that speaks to us to say we should have probably not gone that way, or we should have gone this way, or not talked to the person, even though everything inside our spirit saying, "Hey, mm. you know, move away," because mm-hmm. there's something wrong here. Uh, or you know, maybe you should go talk to this person about this job or that job, and then you get there, and it just works out. Mm. I mean, it's just trusting that voice and acting on it. I mean, it's one thing to hear guidance that is coming from a loving space, but you have to act on it from that same love and trust within yourself. You know, the other thing is you were talking, and, and I thought about this, uh, of, about your own story and, uh, and how, oh, yeah, I wanted to say that, that you started talking about saying working with the police and those kind of things when you said that earlier. I thought that first story you shared with us kind of felt like it was leading in that direction, that you were tapped into something that, that you could have helped the mm-hmm. police or, or that you had some information that was coming to you through that that 
had some kind of have had something attached to, to that story in that way. I have given information to the police on that story, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, no matter who you are as a spirit talker medium, mm-hmm. nobody solves crimes but the police. <laughs> and they don't they sure. arrest people. Right, of course. <laughs> and uh, I give that information in some cases, but it's still their job. Right. Not my job. Sure, of course. Um, so that leads me to another question that kind of segues nicely, and that is I want to ask you, as you as a, as a Mi'kmaq, as, a, as an indigenous spirit talker or, or medium, uh, how do you think you are doing anything different and or focused differently in terms of the work that you do? Well, part of my journey, one of the things that was revealed to me, because I still, even as I started this journey as a spirit talker and a medium, I still wasn't connected to my culture, even though I'm a Mi'kmaq person. Mm-hmm. And then one day, and, and not to sound too out there, but I was out on an island in McNabb's Island in Nova Scotia. And I went out there because I was trying to understand the different levels of energy between spirits, between ghosts and people that have moved on into the other side or the light mm-hmm. and that loving place. And, uh, and I met a few people over there. And then something really cool happened. I had, I, and this was filmed by a guy that was there. Unfortunately, I don't have the film anymore. But a big ball of light came down behind me and pushed me on my back really hard. Spoke something to me in Mi'kmaq. I'm going to say to the extent of Mem Sitnogama. And then the whole room that I was standing in had filled with the smell of burning sage and sweet grass. And it just went around the room. And you could feel it moving, this energy in the room. And there was like seven other people with me. And everybody was covering their mouth going, you know, who who lit the sage? And nobody had lit anything. Mm -hmm. And there was no smoke. But it was overwhelming in the scent and the smell. And this, this... Indigenous person, this Mi'kmaq person, came up again, pushed me again, said something to me in Mi'kmaq, and went right back to the roof. And I was like, and then those two spirits that I was trying to effectively help to make a transition and move on to where they needed to be, they were gone. Mm. I was like, what just took place here? Mm -hmm. And I felt like at that moment, my ancestors were guiding me on this journey as well, and that they were showing me how to effectively incorporate my own spiritual indigenous culture into being the person that I am as a spiritual person. Because in all ceremonies, in Juju ceremonies, whether it's a sweat, a pipe ceremony, we talk to our, our ancestors. We talk to the creator. We invite them in with our prayers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, they're there. Whether people believe it or not, they're there. I'd say, I'd challenge people, talk to them. Use your voice, speak out loud. Tell them what you need in life. with Not with fear, but with love. Mm-hmm. Love for yourself, love for other people. And just see what happens. Because it might change your whole life. Because mm. that's really what it starts to take place is just really having that conversation with your ancestors in the spirit world. And I learned smudging. And I didn't even, wasn't even physically taught how to do it. So I prayed. I put it out there. I said, send me somebody. Send me somebody that can help me understand my, my culture, who I am as a person, as a Mi'kmaq person. And in two weeks, an elder showed up at my front door. And I don't know. Someone else named Kathy Martin had guided him to come visit me, and uh, and he, he brought smudging stuff. He, and then eventually, after our conversation led down further, and I was understanding my indigenous ways, he brought me an eagle wing. He and then at one point, he gifted me the name White Eagle Spirit Talker, and uh, it was very profound that I was heard, and that I found spirit would work through this man to help me start that journey. And I've met many elders and many different people on this journey of discovering myself again, mm. and I feel very supported by my ancestors. Mm. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Um, You know, again, uh, it triggers a a memory about what you were saying there. It's it's a little thing about myself, and and I'm sure you can relate to this. And something similar happened to me years ago when I was working uh, in another line of work, 
and uh, I, I was actually uh, uh, merchandising and, and, and I did visuals for stores and I was working in, in putting mannequins together and dressing windows and those kind of things. And I was in this small boutique store and there was two women working there. And uh, one day I was just working away and uh, I think I came back from lunch. Uh, earlier in the morning, this, this woman, she was Spanish, I believe. Uh, she came in and she said, uh, someone wants to get a message to you. And I said, okay, take a message, you know, <laughs> <laughs> take a message. And, you know, she said, no, no. And she, she paused and looked me right in the eye and said, someone wants to get a message to you. Mm-hmm. And the young girl looked at her and said, you better listen to her. She doesn't do this for anybody anymore. And at that point, I went, whoa. And the one thing she said to me was, I don't do this anymore because I have to share not only the good but the bad with people. Mm-hmm. I don't get bad. Everything that comes through that is shown to me or I hear, I feel, mm. it's to help me understand their journey mm. or the un- understand the journey that somebody has gone through. Mm. But it, effectively, it's meant for healing, to help them heal through that journey because of that experience. Right. And it, there's no fear that comes from me in this in any way because that's just not in part of me. Mm. So when people go to one of your, your uh, uh, shows or even they come to an event, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what they'll see and what they'll participate in? Well, in, in my live events that I do, I, I usually do about a half hour talk helping people understand because a lot of people don't know who I am yep. or this journey or how this even works. Mm-hmm. So I explain that process as well. And then for about an hour and a half, I read people in an audience setting. Mm-hmm. And um, and I no, nobody asks me anything. I just connect. And then one person will stand up, not like several, but one. And then I tell, and I have validating, loving messages that come through to help that person. And then the audience, even if you're not like read yourself, I like to say I actually used to be a, a mail carrier at one point too. <laughs> and I used to say I used to deliver paper messages by day and spirit <laughs> messages by night. But uh, I, I use this analogy that you know some people are getting to the direct letter, mm. but even if you're hearing the message for someone else, there's other people there that are receiving little postcards. Right, they're still getting something from the experience and seeing that it's possible that this isn't a far out there experience and that it's, it's able to take place, not just for myself, but this is something inside of all of us. Mm. And if they can see it in me, they can see it for themselves. Mm. Not that they have to be standing out there in front of people, but it, it provides healing for them in that, in that circumstance, seeing that take place. But it provides them with the ability and the knowledge that they're able to have a connection with their people and ancestors in the spirit world too. So the show that you're doing with APTN, uh, that as I mentioned, is going to uh, be featured on Wednesday, February 19th at 8 p.m. as the, the world premiere. Uh, you you travel around to different uh, communities, reserve communities. Yeah, I travel to 13 different Indigenous communities. There was Mi'kmaq and Maliseet communities in eastern Canada, mm-hmm. from Nova Scotia to Newfoundland to New Brunswick, and uh, one spot in Quebec there. Mm. And uh, will there be more episodes to follow? I am not sure. Okay. <laughs> That's up to spirit and right. APTN. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. What would you like to uh, What would you like to say though for people that are going to uh, want to tune in and, and see this? I, I certainly wish you all the best with it. It sounds like like uh, a great show. Uh, one that, of course, it really intrigues people. This is always something that intrigues people. This kind of this kind of connection to the spirit world. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, congratulations, first of all, on, on the show itself and uh, and all the best with it in the future. But what would you like to say for those people that are maybe, you know, do I, do I, what am I going to see? What am I, why do I want to watch this? Well, I would say check it out and just see for yourself. I mean, I'm not trying to convert people to a belief system because that's, that's not my, mm-hmm. my agenda. My agenda is just to do, be and do what I do and come from a place of love. And whether it speaks to you and your spirit, that, that's a personal choice. But I would say definitely don't negate it. 
before ever seeing it. Because if you've never experienced it, you just don't know. Okay, and uh, I guess the other thing is maybe we've uh, triggered some interest uh, to some of our listeners about uh, wanting to reach out to you, maybe get you to come to their community and do do one of your own uh, presentations or somewhere. Uh, they can get a hold of you online, I'm sure. Yeah, you can go to my website, www.sean-leonard.com, S-H-A-W-N-L-E-O-N-E-R-D.com. Okay. Uh, Sean, it's been a, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. I really we really appreciate you taking the time to to come in and share this with you. And I thank you for those great stories that you that you shared about the the uh, about you, you you found yourself and how this this came to you uh, early on. So I th- I think you know I I'm just speaking my stories. Mm. These are things that have happened to me. Mm. We're all on a journey, mm. and we all have a journey connection to spirit. And no matter what we do, it's being aware that spirit's part of that journey. And noticing the synchronicity, speaking and having a conversation. And it'll actually be part of your life, too, not just as people like myself. All right. Now, Chimiguetch and Wanishi for coming in. We appreciate you doing so. It's been a pleasure to have Sean Leonard on the show. He's a Mega Mouth medium or spirit talker. His show will premiere on APTN on Wednesday, February 19th at 8 p.m. Be sure to catch it. It's a 13-part series called Spirit Talker. That is your show for today. We appreciate you listening to us here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And until next time, I say, see you then. Thanks for listening. I also want to say nyawa, miigwech, wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa, miigwech, and thanks for listening.